you are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. I remember learning about design thinking during my undergraduate degree. It felt like a whole new world of workshopping and facilitating innovation and creative thinking that really leads to more meaningful businesses and products. As I took on more traditional digital and marketing jobs, however, in many ways my day-to-day role didn't use those skill sets, and I felt like it was really up to me as an individual to integrate them into my work. I kind of assumed that the skill sets were just intellectual supplements that I was given until I reconnected with people who actually ended up doing innovation and design strategy roles. One of those people is Kylie Sweat, who I came across through her work heading up innovation at Oracle, but also as a member of the strategic design faculty at Parsons School of Design. If you're an avid listener of the Win-Win podcast, you have probably heard most guests, if not all, say something along the lines of, My career and or road to innovation is not a straight path. Well, that's because a career in innovation is innovative itself. Kylie is another amazing example of the cross-functional mindset and skill set that it takes to succeed in the industry as her 15 plus years of experience are pulled from ed tech, entrepreneurship, instructional design, but also poetry. She founded a nonprofit organization in Spain that supports emerging artists under the name of Poetry Society. She's also the co-founder of The Wild, an organization that facilitates connection, learning, and growth for individuals, teams, and organization through unique experiences. Kylie is also a part-time teacher at the College of William and Mary and Parsons School of Design and a mother on top of it all. Today's conversation breaks down some of the myths around bringing in innovation in a human-centric way to a large organization such as Oracle. Kylie's processes are truly rooted in empathy and inclusivity, focused on communication as a core tool in her toolkit. After almost a year of doing the Win-Win podcast, I thought I would walk away with a singular formula on what it takes to be a leader in innovation. But if this podcast has taught me anything at all, it's that there are as many ways to succeed and make impact in innovation as there are women in innovation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you can find and connect with Kylie on her LinkedIn, which is in our episode notes, or find her through her work with the Poetry Society. So without further ado, let's get to it and dive into my conversation with Kylie Sweat from Oracle Consulting. Hi, Kylie. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, it's so exciting to talk to you today about your role at Oracle. And I think when people think about innovation, there's so many different winding roads to get there. And especially, I think, when most people hear director of innovation at Oracle, they think someone with crazy technical skills, maybe even an engineer. You founded a poetry society nonprofit, have 15 years of teaching experience, and your resume is full of initiatives that facilitate human connection and collaboration. So at what point does innovation for Oracle enter into the picture? So I think you bring up an interesting point about people's assumptions of innovation. I personally don't think of innovation as strictly a technical skill. 
And I think those that do view innovation as someone that just invents something in the tech space is probably a similar persona to someone who sees creativity and the role of creativity in large companies as something that comes last in the process or something that makes things beautiful. So I I think that that point is something that when I was brought into Oracle, the brief was we wanted to bring more human-centered design into the consulting practice. My first question was, what does that actually mean? What do they need? So much of what I've done and what I continue to do in the space of innovation, I think, is to reinvent the narrative uh, for creative roles in traditional business context. I I do come from a very creative background. Uh, Writing and performing were the things that I was brought up in. But I spent a lot of time studying things like language, translation, and understanding how people understand the role of creatives and how I could actually foster environments where creative people could make money, (laughs) to be honest. Um, So much about that has been really difficult, and I see such a value in that. So throughout the time that I've been at Oracle, I, you know, I, sorry, throughout the time at Oracle, I've really tried to reinvent um, or just to help them understand the value of creativity. And so innovation to Oracle has been a lot of experience design and fostering a little bit more um, of the human side of things because so much of their success is about their technology. They have incredible technology, what they were lacking and you know, wanting to, I think, uh, see how to do more was really bridge the gap between their customers who don't have the technical skills and Oracle who does and trying to create a shared language for that and find value in, in the need. And I think to flip the question, what were you most excited to get from Oracle? Why did you feel like Oracle was the next stop in your career trajectory? That's a, that's a great question because I questioned myself a lot um, <laughs> how I ended up here. And I think um, there are two reasons. One, I ended up in Oracle because I knew a few people that were working there that had a strong belief in allowing creatives an opportunity to be at the forefront of the conversation in a very traditional business environment and to offer them new opportunities for growth. So I I was welcomed into an environment that I believed had a vision to bring people that might not have normally been at that level to, to have a seat at the table to really help to influence the business. Um, and so that was exciting. The second thing, though, is the ability for myself, uh, who had taken mainly consulting roles, gone into large organizations and helped to facilitate these kind of evangelized moments in senior leadership to then think of a new way of doing things, to actually see the process and how it continues to evolve, to not just be in and out so much as I was as a consultant, but really understand how a business struggles with change and transformation. We are in the business of transforming companies uh, with technology, right? We help foster people to go through technical implementations at a very large scale um, and help them adopt that change. 
but we ourselves are going through a transformation, one being the transformation that we're all going through of working fully remote. That wasn't necessarily something that we thought we would be dealing with. So it's it's been a value to have a team like ours to be able to focus on that. And so I think that that's what I saw value in is really helping an organization start to rethink their ways of doing things and have a, a senior leader that really valued transformation, creativity, all the things that I was um, hoping to bring in. I know you've touched on it a little bit in your previous answer, but I am really curious to hear about this difference between consulting on innovation versus being in-house in innovation. Do you believe that being and creating innovation in-house is all about the accumulation of the day-to-day things, or is it a larger departure from the core offering of a company? There are a lot of offerings and products and services that I created that were based on one need that kind of came out of a project or a team. Uh, and it was kind of this isolated moment of what was the thing that we needed? We created that thing. And then we go through a process of iteration through just to sort of see in time if that's still servicing that group of people in that way. But a couple of things that I've worked on which is really about how you shift mindsets, right? How you actually take people to value this work and then become leaders of that throughout their own companies or throughout their own projects um, and teams. Um, I work with a team of 1,200 people and my team of strategists are, are small. They're about four or five people. We can't be on every project, So a lot of the work that we've tried to establish is how do you create these, you know, for lack of a better word, these agents of change in a, in an organization to, to then lead this same process, thus like actually moving a company forward in terms of their ability to be more resilient uh, to change. And the irony is there is that we're trying to teach our clients to do the same thing. So it's uncomfortable, it's hard, and it takes a lot of time um, because every time you have these periods of turnover in an organization, you are hopeful that those individuals have the same skill sets, same mindsets, um, but it's not always the case. It's not always up to me who gets hired or staffed on projects. I think the frustrating thing for me personally has been where I come in in the process To be honest, I think innovation and working to shift mindsets, the sooner it can happen in the life cycle of a project or, you know, forming a team or a company, the better. Something that uh, I'm working on a book on strategic design with a couple of fellow professors at Parsons. And it's the same thing, you know, for young entrepreneurs who want to start businesses or for those that have been sitting in the same role who have a desire to change the earlier that they can set themselves up for success by bringing in that mindset of creativity, collaboration, innovation from the many angles that innovation can look like, and really focusing on things that people need rather than like really driving the vision of their idea or their product, I think the better off that they'll be. 
It's funny you mentioned the program at Parsons. I actually did my undergrad in that program. And I do think me and a lot of people who have then graduated from that program and gone on to try to do these strategic design or innovation roles have found themselves making a case for innovation or making a case for strategic design within these organizations. You obviously are part of the founding team of the innovation practice at Oracle Consulting. So what was the challenge in bringing in this initiative at such a large company? I know you've mentioned some of these points, but Mm -hmm. so there were two things. Um, One, nobody actually knew except for maybe our SVP, what design thinking was. And I don't ever come into an organization or a project and say, design thinking is like, is the thing we have to do that it's it, to me, it's more that mindset and practice of creativity, right. And, and that creative process. Mm -hmm. So when I came in, I think that I leveraged mostly my experience in performance and storytelling a great deal because one thing that will sell is one's ability to stand up in front of the room and inspire people. So communication was probably my key strategy. Um, and the second way of doing that was, you know, as an, as an educator and as a facilitator, the thing that matters most to me is giving people an opportunity to understand it through a few different modes of, of learning. We all learn very differently. We have different styles of retaining information. So I wanted to take some time first to observe what the key challenges might have been in the organization. So as we know that it can't have large scale change without really doing good research. So I spent some time on the ground and projects to observe what were some of the key needs. So from that moment, I was able then to say all of the leaders who have these core or key initiatives for the year, let me sit down with you for two hours And I was pitching to them. I was essentially like my internal stakeholders were all of my colleagues. You know, as I said to you before, the earlier you can start to message innovation and creativity for an organization like where I'm at, which is hierarchical, you know, I have to go to the top. And that created the buy-in for me to help solve initiatives and challenges that our key leadership had. But helping others shift the way that they were working because that allowed for other teams and other leadership to then lead their teams differently. So it wasn't just me coming in and having to be in the room for everything that was going on because there's so many people, it's impossible to do that. So there were those, I think those focus areas, research, you know, working with key stakeholders that had the most influence, you know, really creating different and new experiences for them to solve their problems. A lot of what I'm also hearing is that you're actually bringing in this background of linguistics, because I do feel like in the communication, sometimes I've seen in my own corporate role or in other uh, projects that I've been on, people like to throw around jargon, right? Whether that is innovation or design thinking or whatever else, like it may be a lot of the times, just the the phrasing of the thing really throws people off. Well, so I'm curious, do you think your background in linguistics and poetry is really contributing to the way that you lead the innovation practice? Yes, I do. Um, I always wondered what I would do with a poetry background, to be perfectly honest. It wasn't, you know, the most lucrative career choice. (laughs) 
but I do think there's a lot of value in what that has enabled me to do as a facilitator and as a leader. Those are very vulnerable places to start with in, in writing. I think some of the most vulnerable, how their ability to look at the world and then convey it and to do so in a very public form format. A lot of that is about bringing people in. You want to invite people into that experience. So that has influenced the way that I facilitate. But in terms of the role of innovation and, and working in that space, that has allowed me just in terms of my creative practice. When I started teaching design thinking specifically, uh, it came from a number of years facilitating. And I remember sort of delivering the content and not quite getting it. Felt very foreign to me at first. And then I kept, the more that I did it, I, I sort of took a step back and had this light bulb moment like, oh, this is just someone put like a, a process to the madness in my mind. And I thought that was like this moment to say, what I'm doing, it will only get better the more that I practice it. And if I find a way that I can connect with humans and share them these opportunities to think in new ways and to blend their skills with, with something like this, um, then I can actually do more with it. And it got me excited to go into yeah, like in some examples, work with traditional businesses, large-scale companies, because there's always an opportunity for them to reimagine and reinvent themselves. And sometimes it's just about helping 10 people. Uh, and that to me is still a success. But everybody has a desire at some point in their career to see things differently or to to do something that inspires them. And I think that being able to go from poet to this feels a little strange if I look at it, but from like a, an emotional standpoint, like inside, it feels like I've spent most of my time being really good at observing, listening, and communicating. And that has thus allowed me to go into a business that doesn't create enough space like that for their people um, and everybody desires to have that human connection. You know, if we didn't, we die. That's scientifically proven. So to have people that really pioneer that, I think that I'm proud that I came from, from that lineage of crazy creative folk. Cause I do see, and this is, you know, into the future, I do see a lot more roles and opportunities for different backgrounds and different experiences to come in and not just the traditional business backgrounds and degrees to kind of come in and take over the world. And I think that skill set became especially prominent actually last year when the pandemic broke out and you did a lot of roundtable work across the internet, across the industry, bringing together innovators to collectively face what would prove to be one of the toughest years in our lifetime. So you had this incredible crisis response around March 20th, but you yourself you know, we're probably dealing with the challenges that Oracle, like many other companies, had to face, as well as challenges of of being a mother and and also dealing with that aspect of it, as we've seen a lot of women actually leave the workplace during this crisis. So how would you say gender played in that very moment, as well as generally for the rest of your career? Mm -hmm. So one thing I would say is anytime I'm faced with an opportunity, I want to solve it and I want to do it 
in company with others. I don't assume that the problem I have is the only one that I'm, that I'm, I'm the only one facing that. So for an example with COVID, I knew before COVID remote working was important. And not only was it a passion, but I wanted to focus on ways that we could be better for the environment and not fly so much or just to work in ways that didn't require the stress of travel that it had so much to our organization. So I had started to build that in early when COVID hit and we had fully remote workforce. I knew that the the stress of working remote would would amplify. And thus I worked towards building these programs with as many people that saw that same need and desire to make that move into a fully remote workforce to do that with me. And I didn't have all the answers. So to your point, I would host roundtable discussions and I would get the most inspiring people I knew into a room that had different ways of looking at remote, had different experiences with it, and then invite anybody that wanted to join in or out of Oracle to be part of the discussion. Um, the, The second challenge was I am a mother and I'm working from home. So I didn't believe I was the only parent so what I did was mm-hmm. I created a Slack group with our organization and it called like homeschooling at school or whatever it was called. And, you know, it's now got 2,000 parents in it sharing ideas about, you know, the stresses that they're going through, programs that they can offer. I started a homeschool as a part of this with a couple of parents in the neighborhood. It's just like, I know that I can't solve it by myself. Um, so the first thing I do is get as many people as I know that could help me answer it in a room together. And then many times it leads to opportunities that help facilitate whatever that problem was that I was facing and not doing it alone. So now I feel like I'm in a much better situation, but nobody did that for me. And I think that a benefit of being a woman or somebody that you know has experience with you know not getting all of life's treasures just handed to us. This has created more resiliency in finding problems with creativity, um, bringing people together to help answer it rather than sitting there and waiting for someone to solve it for me. Cause that's, that's not going to happen. So I want to get two steps ahead of it. And I really appreciate the, the immense difference that you were able to make. So from all these experiences of facilitating innovation and also learning from the crises and implementing them, are there any pieces of advice that you have for more senior leadership to implement in relation to innovation? So my advice to senior executives and leadership is don't just continue to recycle your best ideas. Empower talent, more junior talent on your teams and collaborating directly with junior talent on projects and bringing their perspectives into the table are just as valuable as focusing on creativity as a mission or pillar to your organization. Individuals from Generation Z, for example, have grown up in an incredibly strange and virtual existence. (laughs) And I think some of those have a real interesting perspective that could really freshen up the way that you're doing things. The other thing I just want to note to young talent who might listen is really actually spend some time listening. Don't assume as much as you might think you're right or not. um, A lot of time should be spent just observing and listening to the environments that you're working in or that you're, you're living in. Uh, Put yourself out there also and seek to learn. You know, this is, 
not just about your ideas as being valuable or not, but it's important that you get the courage um, to be part of the discussion and, and speak up, but also, you know, take the opportunity to, to listen um, and be mentored. Thank you so much, Kylie. And with that, before I let you go, I'm going to ask you one last question. And that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? So one month from now, personally, I'm hoping that I'm in a place that uses time and space more efficiently. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I hope that within my industry or potentially societally, maybe um, we're a little bit I'm hoping we're a little bit less burnt out, but I believe that we're going to be even more so. I think we're going to reach a point where stress is going to continue to a height that we might not be prepared for. But I think that that might be um, a period where we rely more on listening and observation, less ideas, more discovery. One year from now, Sadly, I think we're still in a very similar spot, but um, companies, I think, fo that focus on people versus product, I believe will create um, environments and workforces that are less traumatic, uh, that are filled with people who have a better quality of life or at least focus on living rather than struggling to live. Um, so that's something I see particularly in in the U.S. Um, within corporation or company perspective. Um, and again, I think from my own self, I think it's not much different than I am now, continuously exploring opportunities that are passionate to me and hopefully finding those moments of joy. Ten years from now, I honestly hope that there is a greater representation of diversity across this space and innovation, particularly sex, race, and disability. Um, I'd like to see more inclusive and equitable uh, groups of people working together um, to really lead this space. I still think there we have an underrepresentation of women, but more so um, people of color or disability in this space, and they need to be a part of helping to create our future societies. Um, just having them, everybody so siloed, um, it just, we don't have the perspective that we need to, to actually be more resilient because there will be other problems that we're faced with five, 10, 15, 20. That's just part of what we are a part of change, constant change. And we need more people together to do that. I think personally, I, I will have hoped by ten years. Um, I've started some of my own some of my own ventures. I will hopefully be collaborating more with my daughter, who will probably show me a whole new world I wasn't ready for, um, and just maybe being more active in the the futures space. I'm interested to to work towards new new realities. Thank you so so much for coming on and sharing your journey with us today, Kylie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakal. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, 
when women innovate, we all win. 